stage. Snap photos from the pit. Documented musical stories. Thrashed in the crowd. And raged from the back. We are South Sisters! Welcome to another episode of the Sound Sister Podcast. I'm your host, Randall, and I'm here with my lovely ladies. Say hello, ladies. Angela Roserad. Gabby Kiss. On this episode, we're going to be speaking with Stephen, a.k.a. Psycho Steve Shilton, owner of the Rebel Lounge in Phoenix. He's also the vice president of the National Independent Venue Association. We're going to be speaking to him about their efforts to lobby Congress to pass legislation aimed at saving the music industry nationwide. And if you've been listening to the previous podcast, you know that this is something the Venomous Pinks Sound Sisters and pretty much everybody in the music scene is very concerned about and holds near and dear to their hearts. But before we bring him in, let's go around the room. Angela, what's going on with you? Well... I took your advice, Drea, and I started uh, doing little simplistic art projects that were kind of little and silly to see if I can, you know, get the creative spark going. And it fucking worked. It fucking worked. (laughs) Um, I went to a Michael store for the first time in months. Felt like I was going to die of a heart attack of happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Not because of COVID. (laughs) Not because of COVID. Sorry, I should really, really (laughs) emphasize that not trying to be insensitive at all, but I was really, really excited, you know, to be in the art supply store and grab stuff. So I got some provisions, started working on some things and everything, which I was pretty stoked on. And it was great because it was like this little craft project that was up my alley. And then I started getting some creative ideas. So I'm in the process of like making props and building things in my backyard to like do some photo shoots, which I'm pretty stoked about. Um, And then also I have a photo shoot set up with somebody that's in this room. (laughs) (laughs) The cat. (laughs) My cat's birthday. Have you seen that cat? Steve is pretty rad. (laughs) No, I'm really excited because Gabby and I are going to do a photo shoot. I get to Shoot somebody in Are you person, doing like a boudoir photo shoot. Dirty thirty. Dirty thirty. For Are you Miss Gabby? Are Gabby, you? yeah. No. <laughs> Are you really? I was kidding. <laughs> All right. I well, more, I mean, more dirty, less dirty. Okay, I mean, <laughs> sometimes we need money. There's OnlyFans. Like, only fans, I need a professional thing. You did mention it, like doing a venomous pinks thing. So. Dirty thirty. <laughs> so. No, we're mainly doing just like a sassy, badass gay birthday thing. Birthday gay, mm. I have, chaos. Yeah, I should probably have nice photos to give mom or something. Yeah, like yeah, we'll do we'll like, do a photo shoot. But I'm really excited because I know there's a lot of photographers out there that are still like doing a great job of like social distancing, but being outdoors and taking some portraits and it, photography, which. I definitely have been open to trying to venture into. There's still some, you know, risk involved because even though we record together, for the most part, we're always in quarantine. So we are very, very safe. And so I figured, you know, photographing with Gabby first would be the best way to kind of ease my way back into some of that stuff. I do (laughs) miss taking other photos, (laughs) portrait photos, and of course being at shows. But I don't know. I'm holding on that starting to shoot again and that's exciting well if you need more 
product photography. I have a project for you coming up. <gasps> what? It has to do with that business I'm starting. Nice. Um, I'm getting lots of stuff in the mail the next week or two. Like a lot. <laughs> so like, I'm going to need to <laughs> photograph it all. But that's really all I've been doing is, well, other than going out of town the other day for yeah. the pink show. That was fun. I got to fucking hear about it this. It was uh, super bummed. It wasn't bad. It was just weird. We haven't been in a gas station in like six months. Well, yeah. I haven't been in a gas station in six, seven months. And right. I thought everything was so dirty and gross, but we survived. So <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about the tour situation. Cause yeah. I haven't heard the story since you guys got back, which by the way, you did get tested too I did. before this I did. recording mm-hmm. negatory. See. So, and that was super quick too. It was at Mesa Community College, super quick. I was there five minutes maybe, and they stuck the thing up my nose. And the next day, 24 hours, I had my results. So it there was you go. Quick and easy. So there's no excuses not getting tested after hanging out with people. People. Although yeah. I'm still of the personal stance of not hanging mm-hmm. out with people. Right. Because let's be real. The numbers are still going up. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Drea? What's going on? We went to San Diego and that was interesting. How was it interesting? Tell me more. Tell me more. Was it love at first sight? It's a different world. Like you have to consider like what you are packing now. Hand sanitizer, wipes, disinfectant, face masks, gloves. Like those are going to be tour essentials now, if you really think about it. So yeah, it was interesting. It was fun. I'm glad I got to hang out with my band. It went by way too fast. It was more like a private event. I mean, there were people there, but it wasn't like crazy. To the two other bands, Mike and Sarah, the bartenders, and then they had a production team there. And we played, and that was interesting. I mean, there was an audience, but it wasn't, they were like standing far away. Oh, you yeah. know, to give them space. Distancing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. to give space for the cameras. I mean, it was, it felt good to like play on a stage together and, and here in the kind of have that like resonation of the amps and, the music you know it's one thing to do like live streams and play in front of the camera but it's completely different to like play together and just kind of like be in the moment together like that Mm -hmm. so that was good (laughs) i was super super (laughs) bummed i wanted to go on tour but again i live with someone that is high risk and i'm supposed to be around my parents as well too and they're Mm -hmm. high risk so I decided to stay behind, and that killed me. It killed me, but I was super excited. That even you guys got yeah. to go on the road. Even the hotel was like really clean too, oh, shit. and we you still sp- hotel. sprayed everything down. You still sprayed and, everything yeah. down. You did a whole thing. Masks okay. in and yeah. out. Like, yeah. Okay. So just, yeah. Just so like at least yeah. we knew we weren't like. I mean, we could have been exposed to it, but at least we knew we were protected as much as we right. could. So, and it's, and I, you know, I just super appreciate it too, mm-hmm. because, you know, before we even were going to go, we knew we were going to record again, but you guys got tested first, waited mm-hmm. to make sure that it was safe. And, and here we are, we're still recording at a distance. We're still practicing those things. So it's really kind of heartbreaking when I see a lot of people out and about like nothing's wrong and they're still not wearing their Seriously. face masks. They're still just taking precaution into the wind. And it's just dragging this thing out more than it needs to, you know? I know. I don't know. I've I've talked to different nurses and they said, look, like COVID's here to stay. It's basically just gonna mutate into something. So you just have to figure out a way to stay safe and take those precautions because it is a real fucking thing. Yeah. So it's real. 
Yeah, I talked to my doctor and she pretty much said 2022. Yeah. To be honest. And I was like, wow. All right. (laughs) So if we get to a point where shows happen, you know, masks are going to be mandatory. And even like playing this like little small event, I was still not very comfortable. Yeah. In my surroundings. Uh You know, because people start drinking and they start relaxing and And they don't put their mask on and they want to talk to you and you know i want to talk to you too but like keep your distance bro (laughs) it's a way to do it i mean i mean how did it feel though just to be on stage again for well i guess you you, well you guys did the carter session so that was like yeah the first first kind of stage but this one was more of the traditional stage type setup what was that like it was awesome like but i mean was it like finally i'm home it was like it was like the the big release or something i mean it's it's great to like play with your band like that and Mm -hmm. i've definitely played shows when i first started doing music i've literally (laughs) played to room sizes where nobody's there and nobody's paying attention to you so to me it's just like all right yeah that's cool um but yeah it i mean you definitely miss like your fans and people that enjoy watching you and I mean, there's that aspect to it that plays a huge part in yeah in being in a band and and being on stage. But um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because I was with you know I was with my band. So and that felt good. So yeah, playing a show was awesome. But that kind of brings us back to our roundtable topic discussion. Since we are talking to Psycho Steve on this episode, we wanted to reminisce about the Mason Jar and the Rebel Lounge because those are two very one in the same building, but it's an historic place in Arizona music. One of my first shows with Midal was at the Mason Jar, and I think I was 19, 18 or 19 at Damn. the time. I really didn't realize the place we were playing at until, you know, I got older and could appreciate all the historic bands that, that have played there, like Nirvana. And, um, I mean, Nirvana is like the biggest one I can think of offhand right now. Uh, even before when Guns I was, even when before, dude, even before when I was in a band, my brother used to be in a punk rock band and Tyler King would host Sunday matinees at the Mason jar. So we would mm-hmm. go, we were like eight, 17, 18, just like in high school, we would go, we would hang out. It, it'd be packed like bunch of kids. And that was like the thing to do. Like, every, like that summer, I remember going to the Mason jar a lot and just mm-hmm. hanging out in the parking lot. Drinking 40s, drinking Mickey's, like, <laughs> just hanging out and having a good time. So, yeah, those are, like, the memories I cherish at that place. Was it the same size? Yeah. It is yeah, now? Same yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah. I, I never knew the Mason Jar. I just knew the remodel. I don't know. The Rebel Lounge is, is so much more posh. But what I like about it is <laughs> it is it still has, but it, but it still has the heartbeat of the Mason Jar. You know what I mean? Like, right. And, and it's, I truly believe Psycho Steve is the only, it was rightfully him to be able to take it and make it his own, but still have that like touchstone to what it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't as cool as you, obviously, and I wasn't hanging out <laughs> and drinking 40s. 40s and doing shit like that. So I don't well, have that thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's cool. It was just like the, the thing to do. Right. Well, that's oh, like, right, right. Maybe not cool, but I mean... Uh, maybe I should say punk rock early right punk rock, yeah I should say punk but rock shit <laughs> I uh so back in the day like when I was first in college I want to say well maybe I was like a couple years in college maybe 1920 I studied theater <laughs> and uh weird right <laughs> I, was, I was an actress so weird anyway I uh 
went to the mason jar be- and I was an extra in a film there. That was like what? the first time. I don't know. What? I couldn't tell you to this day the name of the fucking film, but it, I know there was like... So now we got to find it. Z- zombies <laughs> yeah. involved. I don't even know if I even saw it. Like, I don't even know, but like, I think it was student letter or something. I don't know. I was an extra there. I think I was like drinking at the bar. It was, you know, that, that's like the earliest memory. And then also... My mom used to own a scrapbooking store right across the street. Oh, yeah. What? what? Yeah. Well, how come we don't know this part of yeah. your life? <laughs> so many fucking layers to me, you guys. You I guess so. You're an actress in the movie and fucking your I mean, mom. <laughs> the acting part is this really a shocker for you guys? It's like, not. Come on. Come but. on. Yeah. I'll, yeah. But anyway. Um, but as far as like shows and everything goes, I mean, I didn't really go to too many, like when it was the Mason jar. Um, I, you know, I do remember going and seeing like the Burden brothers, which had a bunch of different members of like Toady and like Reverend Hart. He, they like in war and they made this super group called the Burden brothers. I don't know. Hmm, I, okay. It was, it was, a, it was obviously during the Mason jar day. So it's been a while. So, I mean, I remember going to small cool shows like that and it was just, a rad vibe. And so seeing what, again, what he took over, you know, and did, it's pretty amazing, especially, you know, yeah. just for our community itself. But what about you, Gabby? I know that you said you, you didn't know the Mason jar. Or right. that be, like I heard yeah. about it, but I never Gabby, like Gabby. gave much thought to it until Psycho Steve took over it. And then it's, it's very nice inside. Yeah. <laughs> it's very nice. And uh, the sound there is one of the best and yes. like yes. for small venues, it's, Dude side that place is the best well and they dial you in yeah they like literally (laughs) dial you in and they also Mm -hmm. remember your levels so when you go back it's pretty darn close think about it it is it is yeah Yeah. and it's those little things that people (laughs) you know don't really realize you know that's important to musicians well we had our uh mini tour launch off last year there yeah so that was really fun it was packed too and then the last show I remember there before that was the Authority Zero 25th anniversary show that sold out. That was that was popping. You guys recorded <laughs> yeah, a video, cool. right? Yeah, we did hold yeah, on. We did the hold on video mm-hmm. at the at the Rebel Lounge. Yeah, yeah. Well, lots good of times. good memories there, and mm-hmm. uh, appreciate everything Psycho Steve's done for the music scene and what he's doing right now, which we're gonna get into with him right here on the Sound Sister Podcast.
gentlemen, welcome to the podcast streaming all the way from Arizona, Mr. Steven, Psycho Steve, Chilton! <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey. Dude, how are you? How's it going? Uh, pretty exhausted, but all right overall. So, doing all right. Um, <laughs> how are you? How are all you? So you've been doing quite a bit of interviewing lately with various different outlets, media outlets. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's all that all wraps around uh, the work I'm doing with Neva and the Save Our, Save Our Stages campaign. So um, just been doing a lot of a lot of trying to tell people about the plight venues are in and. Um, you know, as things are starting to reopen and bars and restaurants are reopening, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, this is behind us. And for the venues, it's it's not. Like, um, there's some stat that it's 90-something percent of businesses are back open, at least in some capacity, and venues are just not at all. And um, I don't think venues are going to be open for another six months to a year, probably, until you see real concerts. And so trying to make sure that people, you know, understand, like, understand that it's a totally different game for f venues than a lot we're the worst hit industry in the pandemic we're the first to close we're going to be the last to open you know and we're not seeing the end in sight anywhere near yet um and so especially like local music level you see you're seeing people uh doing restaurant gigs and weird you know some sort of bar gig are sort of starting to come back and everyone's like oh music's coming back and it's like yeah that's a different that's not tours it's no one's touring anytime soon you know no one so yeah so i've just been doing a lot of talking to a lot of people about that well yeah. do, do you mind for our listeners who may not be familiar with neva can you explain a little bit about what it is how it started how your involvement yeah. it's the national independent venue association a uh, group of us started it back in April, uh, end of March. Uh, I think we launched the beginning of April. Uh, so brand new organization, never existed before. Nothing really like it has existed before. It, it's a organization of 3,000 venues and promoters nationwide from the smallest, you know, DIY spots like Trunk Space in Phoenix to Red Rocks in, in Denver and the 930 Club and the Troubadour obviously the Rebel Lounge and Celebrity Theater, like the whole range of music venues and entertainment venues um, got together to, we're really lobbying for federal assistance to help music venues uh, that, you know, we've been closed for six months now and have had zero revenue. And it's how long can a business last with zero revenue? It's amazing so many have lasted this long. And so we got together a board was formed that somehow I ended up on the board, the board of it. Um, there's five of us on the board. Uh, Dana Frank, who owns first Avenue in Minneapolis, uh, how real who does world cafe live in Philadelphia. The, you might know there's a, the world cafe show on NPR is out of that venue. A guy, Justin Cantor from La Passion Rouge in uh, New York city. And a guy, Steve, uh, the other Steve on the board, uh, Steve Sternshine, who does Empire Control Room and Garage in Austin and the Parish in Austin. So it's the five of us and our director, um, Guy Reverend Moose, who runs a marketing firm called Marauder, is sort of our executive director, and a ton of other people involved, so many 
to can't list them all. And, uh, you know, we just be, we launched the Save Our Stages campaign, which is the public sort of facing call to action to try and get people to help save music venues. And so that's eaten up all of my time since March. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're like the vice, one of the vice presidents. I like, yeah, you were, I got you a were fancy very title. humble with that. You were like, <laughs> you skipped over that. You got a good title there. Yeah, I got a fancy title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. So at least I got something out of it. I got a fa- you know, vice president, that's what you give the other guy, uh, you know. Hopefully you got a shirt uh, out of it, too, maybe. I don't know. I bought this on our web store like anybody else, you know. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, so. Um, Very cool. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing. So but, so going back to, you know, the Save Our Music, how how – I know you're taking a lot of action with, you know, Congress or politically. Can you discuss a little bit more? Yeah. So like the first thing we did uh, knew that like, this is a giant problem. No GoFundMe is going to help this. You know, those were neat little bandaid at the beginning, you know, every venue was doing their own funding and it was like, this is a multi multi billion dollar problem that no one can solve on their own, which was why we got together we immediately hired one of the largest, uh, got a little bit of sponsor money from a couple ticketing companies. Where do promoters go when they need money? Went to, to some ticketing companies, uh, which gave us sort of the starting capital to do it uh, and hired one of the biggest, best lobbying firms in DC and um, acted, started this. We have a whole precinct captain system of a different captain in every state in Arizona. It's uh, Dan Hernandez from 191 Tool in the Rialto and organizing uh, from the gra- a real grassroots campaign. You know, it's no, there's no big donors or, you know, backdoor, you know, weird, what you think of, you know, these corporate lobbying campaigns. This is all being completely grassroots. And the thing is, within a first week of NEVA, we had members in all 50 states and DC. We're in every major city, you know, there's music venues in every major city. And so it's like, we none of us have relationships with that many politicians, but a lot of us have relationships with like one, you know, and if we could get, you know, uh, and so we've been able to just make a lot of noise and, you know, there's now a bill we're trying to get passed, but a bill has been written called the save our stages act. They rid a, they named a bill after our hashtag. Um, <laughs> it would be specifically designed to a grant program to help venues survive COVID. Um, and now we're just trying to get it passed. It's been a couple of months, or I mean, we've been just full bore hounding every single person in Congress, every every senator and congressman, and learning how that works, which it's as fucked up as you think it is. Uh, but it's a real grassroots movement. Uh, we The website, everyone, you know, we made a lot of noise early on. Uh, we've now sent 2 million emails to Congress through our website. 2 million people have, like, gone to our website and, tried to tell Congress that we're important and it's making everyone know, like our group didn't exist six months ago. And now it's, you know, there's news story, national news stories on the venues every, you know, every couple, you know, every day, uh, you know, we've really been able to create a story. That's important. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how things get moved. I mean, I know there's a lot of venues out there that are struggling, a lot of different people, because people think, oh, it's just business owners. But no, there's a lot of people, like including sound people, bartender people, industry people, that that te- can't just go out and get a regular, you know, what people seem to 
feel is a normal job. I mean, this is their life. This is their livelihood. It's, it's more uh, than that. Totally. Um, totally. And that, you know, that's been one of our big pushes from the start. You know, when we were first pushing, you know, there was the unemployment, all the additional unemployment. So when we were sort of first starting, it was sort of like, okay, the employees are being taken care of right now, but the venues aren't. You know, and now that that expired, now we're pushing for to extend that, you know, we've been pushing to extend that, trying to make the point of like, our employees can't just go back to work. We can't just rehire, like, we can't rehire people because there's no work to do, you know, there's no revenue, there's nothing, sound guys, you can't hire a sound guy in an empty room with no band, you know, so it's like, and the other one is like, a lot of these are very specific skills, you know, like, it's not, you know, restaurant workers can kind of like, once you work sort of in the hospitality, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jobs in that, a lot of fluidity, you know, going from restaurant to restaurant or whatever. There's just not a lot of tech jobs. Like it's a very, very specified skill. Your girls all know when there's a good sound guy and a bad one, you know, it's, it's a lot of skill, uh, you know, and so this is a very niche, we're a very weird niche industry that people don't think a lot about. Um, and so we've been trying to explain it to people that, don't you know and when we first started like some of the first conversations we were all having with all these politicians and offices just really had never thought about our industry or how it works or you know we book six I mean you girls know but we you know we all book six to nine months out you know you're planning tours five months out like you can't just like turn back on you know it's not it's not a matter of like oh I can do shows tomorrow well no, I have to book a calendar. Like the bands have to go on tour. Like I, I'm not a pizza shop that can just open up and start selling pizzas tomorrow. Like if no bands come to town, if no bands are on tour, if no bands want to play, it doesn't matter if I'm open. If no bands are on stage, no one's going to come, you know? Uh, and so there's all these dynamics of our industry that make it very unique to other businesses um, that, you know, people outside of it have never thought about. Well, it's also trying to, that risk of trying to keep everyone safe too, right? Yeah. Uh, All of that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, and I think it's, I mean, I hate being that person to look at silver linings, but you're right. Like there's a lot of people in Congress or in government that have not thought about this type of work. And, and luckily you're turning around because it's also like, look, it's not just like music, like music, as we all know, saves lives like it saves like people's like it's important to who we are as people and so i mean i think it's amazing that you're like turning opening eyes to people that normally wouldn't think of this yeah and for a lot of people especially our movement is being completely bipartisan we've got some of the most conservative republicans are backing in and some of the most liberal Democrats. like people that never sponsor bills together are sponsoring this together you know um and one of the things is, is like, normally these conversations end up in sort of an arts world, like, oh, it's the arts. And it's like, no, we're talking about, sm- like, we're small businesses that are employers. Like, this is, you know, just talking about it in a way that normally doesn't get talked about as economic drivers, employers, tax, you know, tax gen- generators, you know, and that's the argument that really is working in Congress is it's like, oh, wait, what are the repercussions of this? This isn't, a, you know, an art story. This is a business story. Like, this is vital to these downtowns. You know, like, the role that places like Celebrity Theater, or the Marquee, or Crescent Ballroom play in those neighborhoods, 
you know, the where they are, the Rialto isn't an art story. It's a, it's a business story. And like, that's what's sort of, you know, really, you know, this isn't a, oh, the arts feel extra right now. It's like, no, these are businesses right now that need the help. And it's not, not just the art. I mean, obviously I love the arts conversation and, you know, but that's not what, what's driving a lot of the, the attention. That's the hook too, right? Yeah. That's the hook you can get them. Well, it makes sense because what do venues do, right? It makes money. You have to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. The taxes then go, are supposed to go back to, you know, the city. And if that doesn't happen, that is a major, major cut on. And it's everything else around. It's like the, the driver of everything else around it. It's the cab to the show. It's the dinner you get before. It's the bar you go out after. It's the hotel room when you travel. Like we're, you know, the show, oftentimes the show is the cheapest part of someone's night. You know, it's like you go to dinner before and spend a hundred bucks and then you come to Rebel and spend $15 to get in the door, you know, like the, the, the ticket price might be the cheapest part of your, the Uber home might be cheaper. You know, when you're talking about smaller venues or clubs, obviously the arenas and like, that's part of what we've been trying to explain is like the difference between us, smaller venues and like the arenas and stadiums and those giant tours that generate zillion, you know, millions and millions of dollars. It's like, this is very different. Uh, And we're like the smallest piece of that. You know, if you buy a plane ticket and a hotel room to go see a show in another town, you can spend a lot, generate a lot of economic activity of a $25 ticket, you know, like, and you're paying hundreds of dollars for plane tickets and hundreds of dollars for hotel rooms to go see a $12 show, you know? Um, And so like that, explaining that to people who've never thought about it, what we've been trying to do. And uh, so you're you're talking about the, million dollar you know shows and stuff like have you have those big companies showed you guys any support uh like the, the big like one like, and like <laughs> Ticketmaster and <laughs> uh, those ones those, those ones haven't uh um but you know we got a couple large or you know mids a couple ticketing companies gave us a lot we've announced a big partnership with youtube that i can't really talk too much we haven't really announced much but we're working on a couple big things with YouTube. So uh, a lot of people are very, you know, we've made a lot of noise. Uh, the Save Our Stages has made a lot of noise and a lot of people are talking to us about ideas. So, you know, we've def- we've got a lot of support from a lot of the other music sort of entities. Uh, the music publishers, you know, ASCAP, BMI have been incredibly supportive. Um, the Grammy Association has been incredibly supportive. All the talent agencies have been incredibly supportive, all really helping. And all the record labels have been, you know, supportive because, the, you know, one of the ones is like the publishing industry and the record industry hasn't really been hit yet. You know, people are still streaming music. They're still cut making records. Like, they're not hurt in the short term. They're hurt in the long term if venues don't exist for their artists to go on tour with when this comes back, you know? And so the publishers you know, the, what we all, what all all our venues pay and ASCAP is, isn't the biggest piece for them, but it's what we do for development of artists is, is important. Like is fundamentally important to them. You know, what, what, what a rebel lounge or yucca pays in royalties to those companies is tiny compared to, you know, what you get off one Super Bowl commercial or something. But, uh, 
you know, but what we do for the artists is massive and they, the labels get it and the publishers get it. So those sides have been super supportive and especially like the publishers, you know, ASCAP and BMI, they've had lobbyists in DC for a hundred years, you know, like they're, you know, they're publishing is all regulated by Congress. Like, and so they've been really supportive on like that level of working with us to, you know, help protect the venues because they see the big picture, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Screw that one little I was like, Damn. <laughs> name that wants to show any support. I mean, you got, obviously you got the whole support of like everybody. So, yeah. And like huge. Yeah. Uh, is there yeah, a-, a lot of artists have been super supportive? Um, you know, the, the number of artists that are reaching out and asking how they can do, stuff has been great you know dave matthews has donated money through streams fish has donated money through streams that joe strummer uh stream uh, on his birthday all the donations went to neva you know and that awesome that was them reaching i don't i don't know how that came about they reached out and said we wanted to go to neva and we're like yes like that's a big- <laughs> <laughs> of course uh you know so there's been a lot of people you know the artists have been super artists across the board have been super supportive uh, all across. They all get, you know, it's not everyone that plays these small clubs is going to become a famous artist, you know, a famous star, but every famous star started in these clubs, you know, like there's no one, uh, the comedians have been huge. Some of the first support we got is all the late night guys have been super supportive. Some of the first, some of the first people tweeting about save our stages was all the late night guys. Cause all those comedians, like they still play comedians still play small clubs. Like they're all testing material. You know, Jerry Seinfeld still walks into 300 cap clubs and performs like that's, you know, in the way that like a Metallica or U2 don't really go back to clubs very often, you know, if they do, it's a special, whatever. Uh, But, you know, all the comedians still play small clubs. They all have relationships with their small clubs. And so um, they've been incredibly supportive. Um, I mean, the number of times they've mentioned it on like the late night, you know, different artists have mentioned it on the late night shows has been good. Um, so that's, that's been fun. Was there like, uh, we like to call them fangirl moments. Was there a fangirl moment where you're like, whoa, they said save our stages. <laughs> like, was there a specific uh, artist or anyone that you really uh, got excited about? One that's was incredible was Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, you know, the writer, yeah. uh, you know, did Cats and Phantom of the Opera yes. and all that. He posted on online a photo <laughs> with him wearing a Save Our Stages shirt, getting a vaccine, he's in a vaccine trial. So it's him like literally getting a shot, wearing a Save Our Stages. And like the caption was like, I'll do anything to save independent stages. Uh-huh. And tagged Neva right and got the hat, like whoever does his social media, got all the hashtags right and stuff. And the best part is it was a Neva sh- logo on a shirt that we don't know where he got that shirt. Like, like we don't make that. <laughs> it was like a punk but, rock version. That's so we great. Don't, we don't. We still don't know how he got that shirt. But it was. <laughs> it's actually our logo, and it had the. It even you know it said save our stages with a logo straight off our website. Had the Neva logo right, but it's not one we've made. So it's like you got the <laughs> graphic right. Like it's our logo, uh, and we don't know where that. And so immediately we put up a shirt. Uh, that's that logo on a shirt because it wasn't one of our shirt designs, but everyone was like, where can I get that shirt? And it was like, here. Uh, <laughs> and that's, we, don't know how, like, we don't know how that one came about. Uh, 
Fucking Andrew Lloyd Webber's like in his bathroom screen printing Neva shit so he can represent. I'm all about that. I told you it was a theater geek. Sorry, that was in our intro. I was. <laughs> That's so yeah, funny. that one. Yeah, I don't know how it. I don't know how it came, like, we don't know how it came about, but fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I don't know if there's many more successful songwriters in the last 50 years than him. Uh, right. I mean, dude, every time I hear memories, I will still cry like a baby, dude. Memory. All right, we're not going to get into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, bon Iver, he wrote a really beautiful, was like one of the first artists to like tweet, uh, to post about it. And I, I just remember it being like so beautiful. And it was like the first like big artist to like, we had only just launched the hashtag, like it had just gone out. And he was one of the, that one I remember just because he was like the first, uh, that was like the first, like, because we had like sent it to a ton of artists and said, you know, managers and whatnot, can you share this? And just write your own, like write your own thing. And he wrote something, in, and Bonavere he wrote something incredibly beautiful, <laughs> you know, and moving. And we're like, yeah, that's why we're not telling you what to write because I can't write that shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, just get the hashtag right, write the rest. Uh, <laughs> on an artist side was really cool. Uh, the the fish one was cool because that was early. That was like the first one to like actually do. They donated some percent of a stream, and they were like the first to. Fish was like the first to do that. Um, no, we've had a few, but they were the first one to actually write a check. That was, again, like they just asked to do it. Like they just said, hey, can we give you money from this? And we're like, yes. Uh, but like that was just unprompted from them. Um, you know, so a lot of it's been, some of the cool ones are the ones that have been sort of unprompted or pe- people reaching out. Uh, Kill Switch engaged for the first, they sold a mask like right away. And it was like, we had asked them just to share the hashtag and they came back right away. Their team came back right away and they're like, we're launching a mask tomorrow. Wanted to donate it to charity. Can we donate it to you instead? And we're like, cause it hadn't been out. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> you know? So like those, that one was cool just cause it, again, it was unprompted. Like we asked them to send a tweet and they said, can we give you donate a mask, <laughs> you know, proceeds? And we're like, yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, but too many to, too many to count now, so. I have to say, like, there's, there could have been a moment where all of you successful promoters or venue owners could have just, you know, sit back and just griped about it and, and just kind of fold it under or just try to look out for yourself. And it's just a lot of what we talk about in our show here is PMA positive mental attitude and also what people can do together when they band together. And I think it's pretty amazing that you guys created something so profound that it it just shows when you come together, things can happen. And so, you know, it's just a testament to like what that can do. So, yeah, I mean, it's also, so to go a step back on the foundation, the forming of it. So, uh, there's this initiative that uh, Reverend Moose and Marauder run called Independent Venue Week uh, that was in its in its third year, uh, and Rebel Lounge was really behind it last year. Uh, so it's this initiative that's kind of like record store. What Record Store Day is for record stores is Independent Venue Week is supposed to sort of be for venues where we all just wave the flag and you know promote the fact that we're independent. And we got really behind it last year. Uh, 
I was actually supposed to be on a panel about it at South by Southwest this year, which got canceled. Of course, that was kind of the start of things canceling with South by. And the, that week before everything shut down uh, in Phoenix back in March, that second week of March, Moose just threw out an invite to everybody from independent. That was all the venues that were signed up for independent venue week threw out a zoom and was like, Hey, this is crazy. Like we should all jump on a zoom and say what we're seeing because we're all like, what's going on in Phoenix? What's going on in Seattle? Like this city is doing this. And like, none of us knew anything. And so he threw out this zoom invite and like 70 venues got on this. I don't know if it was technically zoom, but whatever, but you know, zoom call. And we're just like, what are you seeing? What are you, you know? And then we've been doing that every Thursday since. Um, and that was, Neva kind of after the second one, uh, the first one was like, what's going on? And the second one was like, Phoenix just shut down. My city just shut down. Our city, like, what are the rules? Um, and after the second one, we were all just like, we're so screwed. Like, this is going to be such a bad problem. Like, I think a lot of people thought like, oh, this is going to be a couple of weeks and then we'll get back to normal. Like by summer, you know, by May, it's going to be good. And we just all saw the writing that it was going to be bad for a long time. We were all just like, this is not a short-term problem and but those calls have been just been incredibly cathartic uh you know everyone's sort of sharing successes sharing what's going on with streaming sharing ideas for gofundme sharing you know what we've been seeing in different cities as far as different help or aid um you know a lot of tense ones of just everyone's for us you know a lot of frustrated it's, it's tough but you know it's been really cathartic to just all of us be on calls that, you know, sharing information and, you know, really bonding with all these. And a lot of it's a lot of people that are competitors. You know, these are a lot of the, a lot of our, our team are people that never have worked together because, uh, you know, they're in cities that are super competitive and like, I've never talked to this person who books the club that I compete with. And now we're on the phone every day talking lobbying or whatever. Uh, and so it's been really cool to like build those relationships. Uh, Phoenix isn't quite like that because we all kind of work, you know, all the venues kind of work together and we all book in each other's rooms and it doesn't, but a lot of cities that are more competitive, the LA's and New York's and Chicago's and uh, some of these other cities that are more competitive. It's like, people are like, Oh, we've never worked. I've never worked with this person before. We competed for 20 years. Uh, so that's been, that's been a super positive of the, the whole thing is like building this community. It's awesome. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, to some of those venues that used to compete, like once things turn around, what that's going to be like, because you're right. I know we talk about it a lot, too, of like how Phoenix is so, you know, communal amongst, you know, not just it's also bands, photographers, artists, all of us together. We try to really band together. And so it's just the power of community. Yeah. Yeah. Phoenix is definitely an anomaly on the promoter and venue side in that how much we all it, it, it so was for a long time so more promoter driven and not venue driven uh, you know you go to a lot of these places and it's more you know the venue promotes its venue and the other venue promotes it whereas like here I, I promote in every room and stateside promotes in every room and lucky man promotes in every room and Kim LaRoe promotes in every room and we all we all book shows in each other you know, do stuff with each other. Um, and that's definitely not normal. Um, or, you know, maybe not the, the standard. 
Um, so a little different on that front. Not that we don't also all compete with each other. Yeah. But that's what makes Phoenix one of the best music scenes, mm -hmm. period. I mean, just from touring the last year. And it's really made us, like, grateful <laughs> that we we can call Phoenix home. Yeah. Just experiencing yeah. other towns. and it's It's also one where I... I've always been in so many different scenes. Like I've met, like, especially small promoters, you get lots of small promoters that are like, Oh, I'm the punk rock guy. I'm the hip hop guy. I'm the metal guy. I'm the country guy. And I've always kind of walked a lot of different lines. You know, I do yeah. a lot of yeah. that I've always, like, I've never been like the punk rock guy, even though I've done punk rock shows for longer than I want to admit. Uh, you know, but so I always think there's so much more you can learn. Like, and I try to tell bands this all the time. It's like, don't just look at what the other bands in your scene are doing. Look at what everyone else is like. You may not like that band's music or like their aesthetic, but there's probably something cool you can learn about what they're doing. You know, they're, they got to figure out streaming the exact same way you do. They've got to figure out lawyers or agents or managers. And you can learn a lot from a band that sounds absolutely nothing like you. And same with venues and promoters and, you know learning on all these you know dealing with everything from the comedy clubs to the art centers and the jazz clubs and it's to the hip-hop promoters it's like you can learn a lot from looking at everybody else and not just your little you look at the same 20 bands all the time it's you know they might not have the answer to your problem but that hip-hop act does you know um you know so I have to, we have to get into how you became a promoter, how you decided to take the mason jar into the rebel. Like, we need to hear the story, dude. Like, let's hear it. Let's get into it. Yeah, so it's coming up on a, December will be 20 years of me doing shows in Phoenix, throwing shows in December of 2000. I was, I was in high school. Um I was a junior in high school. Um, no, wait. Yeah, no, I was a senior in high school, started throwing shows. Kind of, I went to a ton of, I went to a ton of shows and all my friends in high school were in bands, but didn't really go to a lot of small shows. And so it's like, I knew people like Will at the Nile and other people, you know, and other, other bands that weren't from my high school and started through a show at Modified and then through a couple more shows. And then, you know, one show every couple months turned into a show a month turned into two shows a month and eventually ended up you know well now I'm throwing no shows a month but uh <laughs> you know for a while like you know last year we did six uh, last year we did 600 shows over 600 shows including a festival you know uh so that one show turned into a lot um never really at the time never intended that that would be a job or a career. It was just, I was just throwing small shows in high school and then college. And, you know, when I went to AS, I went to ASU and my whole social, when I, I was a little different than most people because my whole social life was going to shows and other music fans. So it wasn't like everyone else. It's like, Oh, high school's over. My social network evaporated. And it was like, my social network had already moved away, uh, had already moved away from high school. All my friends were in band or playing in bands or going to shows that had nothing to do with school. School. And so when I went to ASU, it was like, didn't change anything up because all my friends were still all my friends going to the same shows at Modified in the Mason Jar and whatnot. Um, yeah. And so then it just kept growing and growing until it became all became a thing at some but, point. 
But I have to, I'm so curious. So like the mason jar, when the mason jar wasn't the mason jar, it, it's, it was a couple of different um, incarnations after that, right? And nothing yeah. kind of stayed put. <laughs> what were you like, that bitch is mine. I'm going to make uh, it. Like, how did that happen? Uh, well, I used to do shows at the mason jar at the end there. Uh, did a couple cool shows. I did Avenge Sevenfold there on one of their first tours. Did a Trey You there. It's chill. You know? That's <laughs> chill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, those were some of the first like cool shows. Like, oh man, I'm working with a real band. And then Avenge Sevenfold came back like a year later and they were fucking massive. Uh, but so I had done shows from the Mason Jar, you know, back, you know, when I was in college and all small like hardcore and punk rock shows. Um, and then watched it as it was a couple different things. They obviously had issues with, uh, everyone had issues with the landlord, uh, Franco. Uh, so no one lasted more than one lease. Everyone did one lease and was gone. Um, and I had been at, Cre- had been working at Crescent Ballroom, uh, was working for Stateside and at Crescent when, when that opened, helped open Crescent, did all the local shows at Crescent for a couple of years. And then I had quit Crescent, uh, just because... I'd done, was doing Psycho Steve shows and Crescent shows at the same time. So I was doing both. And it just got to the point where it was more than full time. I was doing nothing else. And it was like, one of these has to gig. I can't I give. I can't work full time for Stateside and full time for Psycho Steve. I remember there was one week. I settled 12 shows in one week. Uh, oh, what? Uh, <laughs> it was just like, I can't, wow. I can't keep doing that. Like, because I worked a couple stateside shows and my shows, and it was literally, like, one night I went to four different shows and basically saw the end of, like, saw the start of them and the end of them, didn't see any of the show, but settled with all the bands. Uh, and was like, something's got to give here. I can't keep full-time at stateside and Psycho Steve. One of them's got to give. So I'm going to do the one that's my thing and not the one that actually pays me. Because <laughs> the one was, Psycho Steve wasn't really paying me enough, but or wasn't really making a living off St- Psycho Steve yet, but... It was eating all my filling all the time. And so I'd been sort of devoting my time to Psycho Steve or look like fully. And the Mason jar came up for sale or uh, for sale again. And like, it was like a new times article about it. And everyone was like, Oh man, he's asking so much money. Like that's crazy. No one's going to do it. And my now partner uh, called me and was like, yeah, I'm looking like that doesn't, that number seems right. (laughs) Like that it's a little high, but it's like, if we can kind of knock it down a little bit and like do some renovations, like I think it actually doesn't, you know, it might make sense. Like, would you want to do it if we did, if we bought this building and it was like, yeah, like let's, let's try for it. Um, and me and him had talked about, we were trying to do a venue like 10 years ago, like before Crescent opened and we were looking at buildings and this, uh, this is before Crescent and we're looking at different buildings and trying to talk about what sort of venue to do. And then when Crescent came along or before it opened, but when it sort of came along, we're like, yeah, I don't want to go compete with Crescent. Like I would rather go, you know, and I kind of got offered to go work there and it was like, yeah, it just seemed like way more the right move. And so when Mason Jar sort of came back up, it was like, yeah, like this seems like the right time to do it. Um, you know, and so be able to keep some of that history alive and make it a venue again. And then now we're over five years into Rebel, which is crazy that it's been five years already. 
<laughs> but it, it still has like the same heart. You know what I mean? That's what we're yeah. talking about before. It's got its its swagger. It's got its swankiness, which is pretty rad. But it's still like punk at heart, which I yeah. absolutely love. With your billboards. Yeah. And I know <laughs> the, the billboards are the best. But I, of course, like That's the deep ceiling from the bathroom. Those are like my favorite. Yeah. Things. The marquee, someone gave me a marquee and I get to put dumb stuff on there. And <laughs> so great. Sometimes people think what I think is funny is funny and sometimes they don't get it. Uh, you know, but sometimes it really, uh, it really works and just, that's just me having fun with it. Uh, uh, we'd do more if I had time to think about them, um, you know, but just get them put down. No, but one is like the sort of spirit of the Mason jar was what I wanted to keep, but not necessarily the vibe. And that was part of changing the name was like, I didn't want people to think like, oh, this is the Mason jar again, or people to be like, oh, that place is still around. Like I hadn't heard about it. And it's like, no, it's been gone for 10 years. Uh, You know, and it's like, I really see that spirit as being the place that's the first time someone plays in Phoenix or that, that artist that you saw them there first. And like that spirit of the Mason jar lives on there that I saw, you know, people who saw Nirvana or Red Hot Chili Peppers or Metallica there before those bands were famous. Or, I mean, the list is, you know, is a mile long of bands that got theirs played at Mason Jar. And it's like, that's what I want to recreate. But I'm not necessarily trying to, like, that moment of time and punk rock and grunge and metal, like, we're not going to re, like, it's not going to be, it's never going to be that again. It's not going to be the metal, you know, the 80s metal bar like that's not what we're trying to be but you know we've had louis the child there and he now headlines festivals you know we've had laney there we sold out let van buren with them last time you know it's like mitski you know at rebel and now you know she plays like fucking radio city music hall and venues like that now but she started you know we did a i think we had her three times at rebel you know now it's you know we'll do van buren we'll sell out van buren with her next time you know like and so, like, that's the spirit of the Mason Jar that I want to keep is that place where everyone goes, like, oh, Louis the Child, I saw them at Rebel Lounge, you know? And it's, like, that band would never... I mean, Louis the Child's a DJ EDM thing, like, would never have been at the Mason Jar, but that spirit is what I want to... really want to go after of, like, the place that will take a chance on somebody. Take a chance on an artist that people don't know yet. Beautiful. <laughs> I saw the venomous pigs there. <laughs> yeah, no, but exactly. And it's like that, you know, and, uh, you know, I remember there was some Frank Turner show I did that was one of the first ones. And it was, someone came up to me and was like, so ex-, it was like, yeah, I'm so excited. Frank Turner's finally coming to Arizona. And I'm like, I've done like nine shows with him here in Arizona. <laughs> what do you mean finally coming to Arizona? Like, I booked him like nine times at that point <laughs> or, or whatever. I don't know. I, mean, I have four times that I can count. And it was like, he's been here like a ton. He comes here every year, you know? <laughs> uh, but it was that because he had crossed that threshold where now people knew, you know? And yeah. so like, that's the fun one where it's, you know, the fright, the last show we did before lockdown was the frights sold out Crescent. We've been booking them for years. And this was like their album release tour. They ended up doing one show of the tour, which was Crescent in Phoenix the day before everything shut down. The whole rest of the tour got canceled, but you know, it's like that where we've been booking that band for, or I've been booking that band for years, and now they're having this moment where it's like, oh, it's crossing into that that next level, and like that's the fun part. I have to say though, I not just because you're on the line, but <laughs> the Rebel Lounge 
stage is my favorite to photograph because I love how you guys do the lighting there. It's not over blasted and powered, but it's still enough where like photographers can get good shots, but it's not so harsh that it's terrible to look at. And I don't know. I mean, you guys definitely, um, you could have like that big um, stage vibe in in the smaller venue that's intimate. Yeah. Um, some of that, I have zero idea how it ended up being good for photographers, but it did. So I love it. I'm like, I'm seriously, I'm like, yeah, finally, like, you know, somebody like has great lighting where we can get some decent shots in. You know, so yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I know other photogs do too. No, yeah, I, I definitely hear that before. So I wasn't something that was necessarily conscious but uh you know um you know but our lighting system isn't the craziest you know it's a pretty modest you know setup so it makes sense that it would be better for photographers yeah you know? it's not all like green washed or you know all colored you know there's some variants there just one is... light bulb yeah, yeah. one <laughs> single solo light bulb red lights yeah. the entire time <laughs> <laughs> or no lights at all <laughs> Yeah. So uh, let's get into uh, what is the craziest show you've booked so far in your life? Twenty years. Oh, craziest in what way? Uh, mm. One leftover crack show that literally turned into a riot, and one show that almost did. Uh, those were not fun. <laughs> those were not fun in a crate in a hectic way. Jimmy World last year at Rebel on Valentine's Day. It was their twenty fifth anniversary show. Like literally twenty five years to the day. We announced it the day of show at noon, sold out in literally seconds. Everyone was like, the ticket link isn't working. No, it's sold out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, everyone's like, the ticket site doesn't work. No, it sold all the tickets fast. (laughs) It did what it was supposed to, but that show was pretty crazy and special. And like, that was like, Jim just reached out and said, hey, do you have Valentine's Day a couple months before? And I was like, for you, sure. (laughs) You know, like like, a couple weeks before I, reached out a couple of times. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like, you still got the date? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's yours. Like, tell me what. And like a couple of weeks out, I reached out, reached out again and was like, hey man, like, what do you do? Like, do I need to announce something? Like, what are we doing? Like, and then he's like, oh, it's gonna I don't know what he's doing. I, I don't know, it's Jim Atkins. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. I don't care. Uh, it's gonna be cool. You know, whatever he wants to do, I don't care. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, it's gonna be Jimmy World's 25th anniversary show. And I was like, oh yeah, we don't need to market that. And <laughs> so I was worried, like, we had nothing on our calendar. And I was like, what, what are we doing? Like, do I need to be, do- it's like, oh yeah, we don't need to market that. <laughs> you know, sure enough, we announced it and it sold out in seconds. So that show was really cool. Cause that's, you know, that was a band I was a huge fan of in high school before I ever did shows, you know? So, um, that one was crazy on that. 8123 Fest last year with the main, that's the biggest show I've ever done. We, you know, sold out 5,000 people in civic space park for a band I used to book when they were, all their high school bands before they were the main um you know we had people from all over the world come to that show that was and somehow we fucking pulled it off i have no fucking idea how i did that but it worked everything worked great so that one was crazy in a um insane way uh ernie that was by far the biggest thing i've done um you keep a scrapbook You should. <laughs> what? I mean, do you have? Do you keep your concert, like your flyers? Do you have a lot of your your tickets, or do you keep a lot of that stuff? 
yes and no. Like I've got some, I was really bad about keeping it early on. So not very little, anything early on. Um, Tickets, I don't really, um, we've been doing the last couple of years way more like cool, like artists, screen print posters for shows. So I've kept the, you know, have a whole file cabinet of all those, like those, anything that like we kind of did, uh, kept more of. I've got some. Uh, one that I bums me out is I've got like virtually no photos or video or anything from any, like I've got so little from any of that from anything early on. Like I've got no photos from any of those early shows. I never kept any of that. Or, it's all up here in here. Uh, <laughs> uh, never archived any of it. So like I never, never was a big fan of autographs. So I get, never got any autographs of stuff until recently we've been doing it on all the screen print ones we when we do something cool for a show i try and get something signed but like never had done that like early on so like those event sevenfold shows or thrice shows or any of that i did early i never never was never really into autographs like the whole wasn't something i was into at the time so i've got none of that um that's probably why you're still booking because you don't you don't you don't bother people for autographs. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's different when it's like, hey, we made this really cool screen print poster for you. You mind signing a few? Of course. Like it doesn't feel quite the same. Uh, I don't know what I would have think of meet and greets if I grew up with like what meet and greets have become in the last few years. Like that is so not like. I, I don't know how like eighteen year old me would have thought of those. Like, because I was like so punk rock and. DIY going to small shows like I don't know what I would have thought like but now that's just a standard that's what kids know going you go growing up to shows if you're 18 now everyone does a meet and greet that was why I like small shows is you just met the band you know you go to a small show and you meet the band you know uh, I think as you go to you're in the Nile basement and there's 100 people there it's like oh just go to talk to the band at merch you know like so I have to ask you this question. It's the re- most ridiculous question. But when I don't ask this question, I get a lot of crap from our listeners. So please bear with me, okay? If you were a burrito, Steve, what kind of burrito would you be? Uh, serious <laughs> question. Serious <laughs> question. I like how we're like talking deep and I threw him the burrito Green. question. Green chili. Nice. Yeah, we haven't had that. I haven't had a yet. green chili. All right, That's thank you. Burritos uh, in Garfield. Best burritos in Phoenix. Green chili burrito. Nice, mm. nice. Okay. I mean, honestly, it, it started as a joke question because I think we were hungry that day and I love, bur- I mean, who doesn't love burritos? And then and then when I didn't ask it, like listeners always ask. So thank you for humoring me. <laughs> that or carne asada. I like it. Those are my two orders. Those are good. Yeah. I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very serious question. <laughs> All the interviews I've done recently, no one has asked me what burrito I am. Well, there you go. Hey. <laughs> You're welcome. Angela did. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> serious matter. Burritos. <laughs> That's a very interesting point. Hey, burritos right away. Matter. Exactly. You know, it's just involved with politics, but I don't know about the burritos, man. It's important. Hey, everyone's got to eat. Okay. Everyone's got to eat. Funny story about Steve and I, we always seem to run into each other at punk rock bowling and we'll have like this little like drunk under the influence of other things, hang out for a little bit. And then like he goes his way and then I go my way like every year, but we didn't have that this year. And I was like, 
Yeah, yeah. didn't have it this year. I don't think I went last. I go like every other year to punk rock bowling or like most more often than not, but not always. Uh, but there was that one that there's that weird little, we ended up at that weird like dance club above fucking Golden Nugget that like totally like weird posh top 40 dance club vibe. And we're just, <laughs> how, how the hell did we end up in this? <laughs> like we're like, and there was like, you could tell there was like, 200 people up there that are there for like Vegas clubbing and then like us. <laughs> what are we doing up here? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> we wanted, I guess we just wanted to dance and you came, you came along and then I think you, you sobered up at one point. You were like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> You're like, dude, I'm going back downstairs. I was like, okay, see you later. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it does. So yeah, yeah punk, punk rock bowling's always been fun. It's more about the hanging out than anything else, you yeah. know. So, yeah. It's, that's what I always like about it is it's like there's so many bands that I've booked and so many touring people, and it's like it's fun to just kind of end up at the crap t- table with all of them. And like that's, that's what's like great about punk rock bowling and compared to like so many other sort of festivals is that you can actually like hang out with everybody, you know, most, most everybody. Everybody's a rock star then. Like literally, like everybody. Everyone's you know, thinking are there. You can hang out with all your favorite musicians and it's. it's oh yeah. yeah. That's the best thing about punk rock is there's, I mean, there really isn't any rock stars. I mean, Mm-mm. yeah. Quote unquote. What's funny is all the bands are not totally rock stars. And then there's all these randoms that think they're rock stars. But yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like so much fucking attitude, and none of it's coming from the bands. <laughs> that's the truest statement I've yeah. heard. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, is there in your mind? Have you built like the ultimate comeback show when you can book the return? Oh, I mean, what, what any show? It doesn't matter. Let's get okay. a show going. Like I don't. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be happy to get whatever, you know. We're still booking shows for next year. They just keep constantly getting, you know, we still have a bunch that were, like, postponed, you know, from this, that we keep moving the dates and we haven't announced, and when is this going to be? And so, you know, we're still working on stuff for next year. We just have no idea when it, when, I di- when an idea will play out or when, when people will feel safe about it. Um, and so, you know, I'm not pushing it. I'm in no rut, like... I'm in no rush to do shows until it feels safe. I'm not trying to, I don't, I'm going to be incredibly conservative on that. Like in, I'm in no rush to do something that feels rush or unsafe or um, I, it, it, you know, to me, some of these like, Oh, all these social distance rules or whatever. It's like, well, then it's not going to be fucking fun. You know, <laughs> like it's like kind of, you know, it's kind of neat these drive-through shows or other things that it's like, yeah, it's kind of a neat novelty to like still have some access to music during this, but it, it kind of defeats the point if you can't just mingle and, and, and enjoy, like if you have to wear so much, if you got to wear a fucking hazmat suit. Like, is it really going to be fu- like, what's the point if it's not fun, you know? Um, and so I'm book, whatever, whenever it feels safe, <laughs> you know? I'm sure it'll be like slow start with a lot of local shows. I'm sure it'll be a lot of local shows to start. Like, okay, like let's try it out. Let's try a pink show. Let's try it, like yeah. figure out 
what feels comfortable or works when people coming back, like it, it's going to be a slow, there's no, there's going to be no like start date to like when shows are good. It's going to be a drawn out process and anybody would I'd be happy to see anybody on stage at this point. <laughs> are you, I saw that on your, like you're doing some streams though, right? You're doing. Yeah. We've done a few from rebel and mostly we're just really opening the door to all the locals that we work with. And, you know, I'm just, most of them, I'm just charging them for, you know, the bare minimum to cover this so that the staff gets paid, you know, like I, we're not making anything. Rebel isn't making anything off it. I'm not making anything off it. Just trying to make sure that people working to produce it, you know, get paid to be there. I mean, none of them are working. So, and then we're just doing it to try and help all the local bands that, need an outlet to get to their fans and they want to do it. And so most of it's them do more of it's really more the artists doing it than us. We're just giving the sage and the sound and helping, you know, some of them we've been a little more active. The Fayuka, we really helped, you know, they wanted to do something ticketed and we were a little more hands-on and making, facilitating that and marketing it and helping out the school of rock one. It was kind of cool. Like that one, actually we sold a lot of tickets for that because it was a, a donation thing to Neva and uh, you know, they didn't get to do their summer end of season concert. So it was all the, you know, that one sold tickets cause it was all the parents see like who all thought it was neat that they got to watch a like live stream from their kids band, you know? Uh, but we're doing it just to help, to help the bands and you know, the room's sitting empty. So we might as well let the band, all the local bands that need it, use it. Um, so, but I mean, there's so little money outside of the artists and streaming. It's all, it's a good source for the artists. Um, some of them, I almost feel like it's a, I think of streaming really as like a glorified GoFundMe. It's like, if you don't want to really like people are paying for streams because they want to support the artists. Like that's why they're doing it. It's, it's a GoFundMe where you get a cool concert out of it, you know, stream concert, you know? Uh, and so, you know, we're doing it to help the bands, but it's not like, a business model for rebel. Right. Bands have kind of had to like get creative on, I mean, we've done a couple, but we actually just did one in San Diego and that was interesting. Total live stream and, but like no, no audience. So, I mean, like you were saying, there's, there shouldn't be a rush to it. Um, Yeah. Do do it when it's when the timing's right because that's the smart thing to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think the venues have been a little different on it than the bars, you know, because you see all these bars. We should be allowed to reopen, like no concern. Why do French fries matter and all this dumb fucking bullshit? And you know, I think the venues more get it because, like, we talk about safety all the time, like every night is talking about safety plans. Every night's talking about security. Yeah. It's just talking about safety of our patrons is just so ingrained in what venues do, or at least good ones. <laughs> you know, the real venues, it's like safety is so important. And I never want to open doors until it's safe to do so, you know, and we hold doors all the time for, you know, especially the bigger shows where it's like, yo, everything's where the room's not ready. The barricade's not right. The the guards aren't at all the exits like it's safety is so important to producing these shows and you don't open doors until it's safe and that's every night and now you throw COVID in there and it's like we're not going to open doors until it's safe to do so 
at least, you know, for concerts and one, you know, as a concert experience, it's like, you don't open doors until it's safe. And I don't know when that's going to be. We soon, yeah. Oh, but who soon. knows? We, you know, just don't put a timeline on it, I guess, yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, we're post-vaccine. It's not until there's a vaccine. You saw the head of the FDA in front of Congress the other day was saying that mass distribution of a vaccine won't be until the end of next year. And that's, that's the timeline I'm on is when is mass vaccine out? And the FDA is saying it's the end of next year. That's, that's the best timeline I've got to go off. I don't have anything better, you know, hopefully the long-term effects of a vaccine. Like, is it really, really like working? Like that's another thing. Well, that's, that's why he's saying mass distribution. It's not when will a vaccine technically exist. It's when it's going to take, six months to get it to a point where you can say everyone's been vaccinated because at first it's going to be let's do some testing or more testing then it's going to be first line medical workers and the elderly and then sick people and then it'll like move down like healthy people are not getting vaccines for months like you just got to physically you got to make 300 million vaccines and get people to the doctor to get one like it's just a time-consuming problem and we can't do shows until that's happened um unfortunately. Damn, you heard it. But it, it makes sense. It's the smart thing to do. It's the safe thing to do. It's what yeah. we done. And it's also really about, like, for the bands touring, like, going from venue to venue, like, across the country is, like, incredibly unsafe about it. It's like, how can you get in a van with five other people, drive across the country, go in a club with a ton of people, get back in that van, um, there's no way to do that safely. Um, you just can't. Um, or I don't know how to. I mean, I haven't heard anyone say how you can do that safely. Um, and so why should any artists, like, risk themselves or their families or each other to go do that? It's not worth it. That's someone who's dedicated his life to live music, and I think it's not worth it. I mean, you got to keep the music going. You can't do that if you're not... You're, you're not well, so yeah, makes sense. Uh, real quick, because we do have a strong punk rock following, and you mentioned uh, Leftover Crack Riot. Can you tell that story? Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, we did a show at the Old Brick House in downtown Phoenix probably 15 years ago or something, uh, probably 2005 or so or something like that. And it was the night before Halloween. So like half of people, you know, we sort of promoted it as a Halloween con- concert. Did Casket Life, Casket Life opened? I think so. I think they did. I loved Casket I Life. They did. Okay. okay. I miss Casket okay. Life. Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah. And so start of the day, bands loading in, sound check, everything's cool. Like, after doors opened, drummer walks up to me, ask, I was doing, I was selling, I was selling tickets at the door and this is punk rock, you're, you know, still when almost every ticket was cashed and like very few people had tickets. Everyone was paying cash at the door because it's a leftover crack show. Um, and- <laughs> busking for ticket money outside. <laughs> yeah, busking for ticket money so that they can leave the crisp 20 in their pocket and hand yeah. grungy ones. Um but uh, so the drummer walks up to me asking about set times. Bear in mind, the band's been in the venue like five hours at this point and goes, 
we sell him the times and I don't remember the exact times, but it was like, they were supposed to go on at 10 o'clock. And he says, oh, that doesn't work. I've got a flight at 11 or whatever. And we're like, what? And he had like booked the flight home that day. Uh, didn't tell anyone, didn't tell the band. I was the first person he told that he had a flight. And we're like, you couldn't have told, it was after doors. So the first band hadn't even gone on yet. And it was like, you didn't check set times before you booked a plane flight. And so we have this whole argument backstage about what they're going to do. And we cut all the local band sets and are trying, we're like, well, if we get you on and, you know, downtown Phoenix to Sky Harbor late at night, like it's five minute drive, you know, and we're like, we can get you there in 10 minutes, literally. And so we work it all out. They're going to go on at nine 30. His flight was really like 1130 or whatever the specifics of the time were and get them on stage like five minutes even before what we're supposed to, just all the bands. Actually, Casket Life did open because it was Ben and all his guys were helping us load, even though they weren't, quote, our loaders. Like, we're just getting bands, like, the fastest fucking set changes you've ever seen at a punk rock show. Get them on, like, five minutes before the new times we're even supposed to do. They play, like, three songs, three or four songs, which their songs are 20 seconds long anyway, you know, so they're on stage, like, five or ten minutes. Drummer gets up grabs his suitcase, walks off the back door and gets in a cab, goes home. It goes to the airport. He had ordered a cab and got a call on stage, like the text message on stage saying his cab was there, jumped off after five minutes on stage, 10 minutes on stage, gets in a cab, he's gone. He's out the door. He's gone. (laughs) We were like, what? Like he literally got off stage, grabbed his suitcase, out the back door. He was off out of the building in 30 seconds. Like we're standing on the side of the stage going, what the fuck? Uh, Fuck your show. uh, Yeah, and so we're having an argument with Stizza, the singer, and like, dude, like, we've busted ass all day to get you guys on stage in time, and you can't even do a half hour, you know. And everyone, you know, the crowd's all there, and we're, you know, we're standing on the side of stage. Everyone at the front of stage can see us arguing about this, and Stizza's like, "Don't worry, I got it. I'll take care of it." Goes on stage, gets up to the mic points at us and says, those assholes won't let us play. Oh, no. It's like jaw drop. Like, this is our fault. You're drunk. Bear in mind, the drummer was leaving the tour because he was so sick of being on the tour that he's like, fuck it, I'm going home. Mid-tour, didn't tell the rest of his band until we brought it up. And then so Stizich started chanting, you know, got everyone chanting, let them play, let them play. <laughs> like, we're the ones begging you to fucking play. And so... They're, the whole crowd's chanting, let them play. And people started throwing bottles and throwing chairs. And the police had to come and break up the whole thing. And, like, we got we sort of push everyone that was backstage, the band outside. Uh, and I'll never met this. I'm holding the stage door shut, like, standing against it, holding it shut. While Stizza, there's this whole, like, argument going outside. And Stizza and um, arguing with it. And I remember, do you know Party Marty from Riverside? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. So Party Marty walks up to Stizza fucking crying. Like, he's, he's wasted. <laughs> like, crying. Like, fuck you, man. That was bullshit. Like, I've been busting my ass. Like, he was helping us load it and stuff. Just, is there just helping out. And yeah. was like, we've been helping all day. That was fucking bullshit. Like, these kids look up to you and that was bullshit. And Stizza just turns to me and says, fuck those kids. I don't care about those kids. Damn. And Marty Marty just dropped him. Just <laughs> dropped him. 
and then a full on fight. And I'm holding the door shut, like trying to hold the door shut, going, what the fuck? And there's this full on brawl between the band and like everyone that was backstage. Oh, uh, but I never remember Stizza Did saying- Did you jump in? Did you throw some- No, I'm still holding the door because all the kids in the riot are trying to push outside. Uh, you know, and the door's emergency exit, so it swings out. So I'm trying to hold all the kids that have seen this altercation going on. But I'll just never forget, forget Stiz is saying, fuck those kids. And it was like, and he'd been trying to blame that it was our fault that they couldn't play. Yeah. And then whole fucking ordeal. Like all cops out street, full on, tons of damage to the venue. Uh, we gave all the money to the venue to cover the damages and it still wasn't, you know, and then some, and then the band was all mad that we didn't, we refused to pay them after that. And we're like, no, like you're paying for the damage. Like, yeah. You know, uh, so yeah. your booking left over crack for your first show. Though, when you <laughs> <laughs> no, Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. What the fuck? This is saying fuck those kids. Like yeah. all, like one of those. And this was like, like, okay. So you said 15 years ago. So social media wise, like, I mean, what did that do for your booking? Like, what did that do? Like, where everyone's like, fuck Steve. Like, I mean, what were uh, the repercussions? Were people demanding? Uh, I No, because most of the people, like, kind of everyone that sort of, I don't want to say mattered, but like, everyone saw our side of it because, you know, like, Casket Life had been helping out. Like, okay. there was enough, you know, there was enough people that, like, knew what really happened and knew that their bullshit version of, us not letting him play wasn't true. So like, you know, or the people that saw the drummer walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is the weird, like I was standing on the side of the stage. He j- jumped off, grabbed his suit. And we're like, what the, f- like, what are you doing? And he's like, my cab's here. And we're like, we were going to drive you there. Like it's five, like it's literally 10 minutes drive. Like you get on Buckeye and you're in the airport. And um, yeah. Uh, I hope he made his flight. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Dude, it's 9.45, your flight's at 11.40 or whatever. Or I don't remember the exact times or anything, but whatever it was, it was like, you got an hour and a half, like, you've got plenty of time. Uh, but he was just over it. He just wanted to leave. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if he knows how much damage he caused by, like, leaving early. <laughs> I mean, he was so sick. I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, but that, that was one of the worst. That was That's one a great of the story. <laughs> Yeah. worst nights <laughs> so I want to give you a hug right now I feel so bad about that that's so bad <laughs> that's so yeah bad. and that, that was this we had already done a leftover I'd already done a leftover crack show that was almost fucking as it didn't turn into a riot but behind the scenes was as equally as fucking annoying but it didn't end up as much physical damage but yeah so I haven't worked with them since um <laughs> you know. yeah. but then yeah. like uh the other show, they had uh, gone on stage at the end of their set and told all the kids that, you know, I forget what it was. It was supposed to, it was a $10 show or something. And they had gone on stage and said, this is bullshit. This show was supposed to be $5. Those, and pointed it again, was like, those assholes, like it's supposed, punk rock should be $5. And I was like, I'm paying you a lot of money to be a $5 show, you know? Uh, so kind of knew the second time what we were getting it, you know, had an idea of what we were getting into. But, you know, I was like, I got a contract that says the ticket price on it. Like your agent said that, like, we didn't change the price, like trying to make it <laughs> weird shady just so he can pretend that like $5 punk rock shows, like, yeah, $5 punk rock show doesn't come with that guarantee that we're paying you. <laughs> so, wow. um, 
Wow. Yeah, they're the worst band I've ever dealt with. <laughs> <laughs> they're the worst. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did want to ask you, like, is there a band that sticks out that you're like, eh, I'm good if I don't work with them again? It sounds like that. That might be. Yeah, it. that would. Uh, there, there's very few. There's very few. Um, and now it's it's so rare that I, you know, did 600 shows last year, and I can't think of a band out of that that we wouldn't work with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you have to have a couple of like, uh, you know, war stories, you know, for the books, I guess. <laughs> yeah. More from the disaster, like so many of the best shows are the, uh, you know, from my end, they're almost the boring ones. Cause it's like, yeah, band showed up, sound checked, everyone came in, awesome show, everyone left, end of story. You know, it's like, the show was awesome, but like, from my end, it's like, oh, that ran totally fucking smooth. And I didn't like, didn't deal with anything, you know, <laughs> like some of the best shows are the least eventful from as far as like stories. Like what was the show? Like the band was great. What more do you like? <laughs> I don't have anything else for you. Like the band was great. It was awesome. Like what? I don't know what you want to tell, you know? Have uh, you ever played music? Are you a musician? I, I tried to putz around with bass when I was in high school and like got a bass for Christmas or a birthday or something. And no, never <laughs> did and, didn't put any time or effort into it and was like oh wait this is hard I'm not gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) well I have to say I'm kind of I think we're pretty grateful you didn't go on that path because we wouldn't have had as many fucking rad shows as yeah so yeah that's why I kind of started promoting shows was because I didn't play them you know (laughs) that's why I photographed them (laughs) that's why I photographed them yeah so it was like me getting in you know all my friends were in bands and playing shows and I was like, well, I want to be involved in this. Uh, so now most of the, all those people, very few of them still play music and I still do shows. So they might be smarter than me. I don't know. Real quick, go ahead and plug your social media and how we can support Neva. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my stuff's easy to find everywhere. It's psycho Steve on everything, you know, all the things, this Instagrams and Facebooks. Um, most of our handles are the rebel lap or the rebel PHX for most things easy to find. And then, um, the big one right now is just, we're pr- pushing, uh, the hashtag save our stages, save our stages.com Neva, Neva com or maybe I think we're .org. I fucking can't remember. Um, but just save our stages is the big one. Like that's, that's what we're pushing and save our stages. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm really bummed. I didn't ask how you got the name psycho Steve. Are you allowed oh. to share that? It, I wish I had one of these days I'll come up with a cool story for it, I but no, it was just, uh, it was kind of a small group of my friends in high school were calling me that. And I have zero idea how that started or why. And then when I started doing shows as a joke, one of them was like, sort of like, you know, giving me shit and was like, Oh, you should put psycho Steve presents on the flyer. Uh, Cause the first several shows I did and there was no, there was no company. It was me throwing shows and modified, you know, uh, and then so like the next show I did, I came back and it said Psycho Steve Presents and it was, you know, some local show and it was like handed it out and they're all just like, oh man, you did it. It was just like, <laughs> and then 20 years later, I got to explain how that became a company name. <laughs> it was like, that yeah, was a dumb joke. It was a dumb joke of a small, and none of my friends in music knew me as that. Like everyone was like, who's Psycho Steve? And I was like, that's me. And I'm like, you? Um, <laughs> it, uh, it was especially fun early, earlier on when it was like, helping out with shows for like hate breed and Throwdown and the casualties or avenge sevenfold. And people remember hate breed, like walking in and being like, 
you're psycho Steve. And I'm like, <laughs> nerdy guy, clean shaven, fucking nerdy college kid. Like, yeah, I'm psycho Steve. And it's like hate breed and all fucking, you're psycho Steve. And like, definitely had a more uh, like ironic kind of, at the time, just sort of like, what? <laughs> like, all these punk rock bands coming in and be like, what? You? <laughs> like, <laughs> nerdy college kid? Like, what? <laughs> you know, because I was never, other than wearing a Pennywise shirt or something, you know, I was never that, you know, I still have no tattoos, no piercings. Wasn't ever like that punk rock, even though I was putting on all the punk rock, you know, putting on so many of the shows and what I was listening to, but I never like, you know, it was never the tattooed hardcore, you know, hardcore kid that these bands would come in and be like, what? <laughs> this doesn't compute, <laughs> you know? Like, we thought it was going to be like some weird crazy guy. And then it was like, no. <laughs> no, it's just me, Steve. <laughs> um, you know, especially those ones being like weird, awkward, nerdy guy backstage being like, why am I backstage? <laughs> you know? Um, I say that every time I'm backstage with these bitches. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> uh, well, Steve, we definitely appreciate everything you're doing right now to save mm-hmm. our stages, especially small bands like the Pinks. Like, we depend on our little smaller venues. Like, And that's one of the one thing that worries me, man, is like, we're going to come back out of this and there's not going to be a lot of places to play anymore. So it's... I mean, and that's why it's so p- support important. No one cares about saving these stages for people like me people care about saving it for bands like you you know like that's why it's so important is why it's because of how important it is to the artists and the musicians and to the fans that's why it's important you know um there aren't other places i mean there's only so many places for bands like you guys to play and we need to protect all of them yeah Yeah. we we appreciate it (laughs) thank you well thank you (laughs) Um, yeah thanks girls Thank yeah, you. thank you, Steve. Thank you. It was, it was cool. Good. It was good talking with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like your setup back there, all the guitars and whatnot. Thank you. Gabby Gabbas. <laughs> I got nothing else to do now, so. She's profesh. <laughs> <laughs> Collect. Mm-hmm. <Yep>. Awesome. <laughs> Keep up the good fight. I mean, yeah. I just think it's so rad. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty awesome to see one of our own out there just like talking to these like big people to make some serious change. It's very inspirational, you thank know? You. Yeah. yeah. So thank, thank you, you for doing that and putting up the yeah. fight and we're definitely huge supporters. So thanks. And um, hopefully we'll get to do shows some point soon. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm getting tired of taking photos of my dog. So <laughs> <laughs> Your pro- dog's probably saying the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As cute as he fucking is. <laughs> Not again, mom. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we'll we'll do some brainstorming though, as like sound sisters, you know, of something we can do to kind of help, you know, support the cause. But we'll definitely reach out to you with some ideas after we kind of cool. noodle on it. So yeah, cool. Sweet. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks, ladies. Thank right. you. Bye. Once again, thank you, Psycho Steve, a.k.a. Stephen Shelton, for joining us on the Sound Sister Podcast. We appreciate you and everything you're doing to fight the battle for us on our behalf. If you're listening, remember to go over to the National Independent Venue Association website 
take action, fill out that form, and send that email that gets sent to your state representatives. We need to do everything we can to get these people to take this bill serious. We need to get that out there, guys. We need to do what we can. We gotta fight the fight. And right now, right now is the most important time. Remember to head over to the website soundsistersaz.com to view and listen to previous podcasts. Go to Facebook and like us, Instagram to follow us at soundsistersaz. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified on new episodes. And check out our kooky sister podcast called Grave Sisters, located under the Sound Sisters platform on all streaming platforms. Check out older episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And leave us a review. Show us some love, guys. We need to see some some of those five stars. We want to feel the love and hit subscribe. We have new shirts on our merch shop over on the website, so go get one. Thank you again for all your support. It means everything to us. On that note, this is your host, Randall, signing off with my lovely ladies. Reminding you to keep your eyes on the prize. Always do your best. And wash your hands. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Bye. Yeah.